through 7. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written about me, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And then turning to Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 7, we see that although Psalm 40 was written by David and uh, described his experience, we know that its ultimate fulfillment was found in Christ because he specifically applied that passage to himself. Hebrews 10, 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, as your word goes forth this morning, or this evening, I'm reminded of the great promise of Isaiah 55, that as the rain goes forth, waters the earth, it produces great fruit. And the same is true of your word. As it goes forth, it does not return void, but it accomplishes what you desire And it achieves the purpose for which you sent it. So I pray that your word would bear great fruit this evening in our lives. And I ask this with great confidence because I ask this in the mighty name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. James K.A. Smith, the author of You Are What You Love, makes this great observation when he says... If you really want to get to know somebody, if you want to understand who they are and what makes them tick, you are not going to ask, what do you know? There are millions of things you know. That doesn't tell me anything about who you are. I'm also probably not even going to ask, what do you believe? Because again, there are all kinds of things that you believe But that doesn't necessarily touch the core of who you are. And then James Smith says something that one of my professors at Trinity was fond of saying. We are more than brains on a stick. (laughs) We are more than thinking things. He goes on to say, if you really want to peer into who you are and understand what makes you tick, Here's the question I have to ask you. What do you want? What do you desire? What are your hungers, your longings, your cravings, your love? Because that is the real animating center of your identity. Isn't this why we ask little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And imagine a little boy, and his face lights up, and he says, I want to be an astronaut. I've loved little rockets my, my whole life, and I'm fascinated with 
science and my parents took me to NASA on vacation and it was fascinating and now I'm saving up money so I can go back to NASA another time and you're like you're five years old how much money are you going to save but but when you ask the question what do you desire and and what do you want all of a sudden you, you got to the core of who he was if we were to ask Jesus what do you desire how would Jesus answer that question we don't have to guess because we're told in psalm 40 verse 8 jesus said i desire to do your will oh my god jesus was animated and energized by doing the will of god and accomplishing his work and we know from the context of psalm 40 and hebrews 10 that the work he was specifically talking about was sacrificing himself on the cross for the atonement of our sins. If you were to ask Jesus, what do you want to be when you grow up? He would have said, I want to do the will of my father. I want to finish the work that he gave me to do. And we see that same passion in other passages as well. In John 6, 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. The very purpose of Jesus' coming was to do the will of his Father. And then in John 4, 31 and following, Jesus is talking to Uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, and then the disciples come, and we read, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. The very will of Jesus, his food and drink was to do the will of his father. And this evening, I'd like us to think about the sacrifice of Christ. And I'd like us to consider three questions if you're taking notes. The first is, why was God delighted with Jesus' sacrifice? And then the second is, why was Jesus delighted to give the sacrifice? And then the third is, why will God delight in our sacrifices? So let's begin with, why was God delighted with Jesus' sacrifice? Uh, The first part of that answer is that his sacrifice would do what the blood of bulls and goats could never do. And that is atone for sin. But they were offered because the law required them. But the law only required them because they were a picture. They were a type and shadow of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus would offer when he came. So the father was pleased because of the sacrifice that Jesus offered for sin. But I think we can go a little deeper. God not only wanted the sacrifice of Jesus, but he wanted the obedience of Jesus. In 1 Samuel 15, King Saul is told by God, I want you to take your army, lead them into battle, and I want you to wipe out the Amalekites. 
Don't spare any men, women, and children or animals. God was using King Saul as his instrument of judgment. And Saul went, but he spared King Agag. He spared many of the animals. And then he sacrificed the animals that God told him to kill. And he thought God would be pleased. But this is what we read in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel the prophet shows up and he says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. God didn't want King Saul's sacrifices. What he wanted was King Saul's obedience. With that, he would have been pleased. And when Jesus came, what he offered the Father was obedience. Because he knew that's what pleases God. Recently, I've been reading through this book by John Owen. I'm still reading through it. It's called The Holy Spirit. And I came across something that I thought was fascinating. This is what John Owen says. It is not only the death of Christ, considered merely as a punishment that delivers from sin, It is his obedience to death. This was the real offering of himself through the eternal spirit of God. This was what made his death and sufferings effective for the salvation of sinners. It was the obedience of Christ that made his offering of himself a sacrifice for a sweet-smelling aroma. So it was not Christ's outward sufferings or his suffering the penalty of the law that constituted the atonement. It was his obedience. It was Christ voluntarily offering up himself in obedience to God's will that was the supreme reason that brought God to be reconciled to us. Now, when I first read those words by Owen, I thought he was exaggerating. I really did. I thought, what what do you mean it wasn't the the punishment and the sacrifice that God was pleased with? and What do do you mean it was the obedience? I I thought it was an exaggeration. And I I had to read through it two or three times to understand exactly what he was saying. But I think he is right. It was not just the sacrifice, the outward sacrifice of Christ that pleased God, atoned for sin. It was the obedience that came from his heart. And that's what God was looking for, obedience from his son. And I think any of us earthly fathers can can understand that. What is it that we're looking for from our children? Let's say that a, a father says to his son, Son, we're having some, some guests over this evening, and, and I would like you to clean your room. And, I, and I'd like you to do it right away because I want to know it's done, and I don't want to have to stress about it not being done. Okay, now, we're having guests over, so you might be thinking that this is an illustration about Zach. This is not an illustration about, I'm not talking about my kids, okay? I'm talking about David Moyer's kids, okay? <laughs> okay? <laughs> The, the command is clear, what you're, what you're looking for. 
you're looking for immediate, complete, joyful obedience. Perhaps you've heard that. It's the kind of obedience that I want. Immediate, complete, joyful. Therefore, delayed obedience is disobedience. Now, now imagine dad comes back in an hour and he looks at the room and the son hasn't done anything. And, and dad's like, what, what's, what's going on here? I, I wanted you to get this room clean so I didn't have to worry about it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. You're not pleased, right? And then you're also looking for complete obedience. Now let's say an hour passes. Dad comes and he walks into the room and he says, Son, I I asked you to clean up your room. And he says, Dad, I did. My dirty socks and underwear were on the floor and I picked them up and I put them away. And Dad's like, I was looking for a little more than that. And I can already see some of you parents like, Yeah, I've been there, done that. And then grumbling obedience is disobedience. Now imagine, son, I'd like you to clean up your room. We have guests coming over. And the son, ah, okay, dad, I'll, I'll clean up my room. Are you pleased by that? You're not pleased by that either, are you? That's, that's not the kind of obedience that you want. That's not the kind of obedience that's, that's pleasing. Now, imagine a a different scenario. Son, I want you to clean up your room. We've got guests coming over. If you could do it right away, that would be wonderful. Then I wouldn't have to to stress out about it. No problem, Dad. Happy to do it. Son gets busy cleaning the room. Fifteen minutes later, Mom, where's the furniture polish? (laughs) Furniture polish? The son has never asked for the furniture polish. Why do you need the furniture I want to polish the furniture. Dad told me to clean up the son. You, he doesn't expect you to polish the furniture. He just wants you to clean up the room. That would be no. I want to do a really good job. Okay, here's the furniture polish. The son's in there. He's he's getting it as clean as he can. He's never cleaned it so clean in his entire life. Dad comes back in an hour. He walks into the room. He looks around. He about has a heart attack. The son is smiling from ear to ear. Dad, dad says, son, looks, looks great. The son says, I knew you'd be pleased. And because I love you, dad, I wanted to do whatever would make you happy. Now at this point, is the father thrilled because there's a clean room? Or is the father filled with a heart of gratitude and overflowing pleasure because of the heart's obedience that the son offered to his father. From Jesus' perspective, the cross was the opportunity for him to demonstrate his love for the father. Surely Jesus must have thought something like, My father doesn't delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices. If he did, I would bring them, but those don't bring him delight. But he's given me a body, and what he wants is for me to sacrifice myself. So that is what I will do. In loving obedience to him, I will offer myself. And it's the love that makes all the difference in the world. 
You're familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter, as it's commonly called. Verse 3 says, If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now let's apply that to Jesus. If I sacrifice my body on the cross, but have not love, it accomplishes nothing. It accomplishes no atonement. And I think that's what John Owen was striving at. It was the obedience. It was the love that provided the sacrifice, not just the outward sacrifice that Jesus offered. It was the heart. It's all about the heart. So why was God delighted with the sacrifice? Because it was a heart of obedience and love. Why was Jesus delighted to give the sacrifice? I hope the answer here is obvious by now. Jesus delighted to give the sacrifice because he loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you love someone, you're willing to make a sacrifice for them. If you're a child who loves a parent, you're, you're willing to sacrifice to clean up your room, to help mom with the dishes. That's, that's what love does. Love sacrifices. Jesus was delighted to sacrifice himself because he knew Psalm 40, which plainly says that God would take pleasure in the sacrifice of his son. So he was happy to do it without any hesitation whatsoever. Now, at this point, someone might have an objection, and it might be a good objection. Uh, the objection might be, well, wait a second. What about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? It looks like when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he did hesitate a little bit because he said that he wanted the cup to pass. Yes, he then went on to say, not my will, but your will be done. But it, but it seemed like he, he hesitated a little bit, and he, he did but we need to understand very clearly exactly what Jesus was agonizing over in the garden. We need to be very precise about what the agony was. It was not. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, pouring out his heart, he was not agonizing over the nails that would be driven into his hands and feet. He was not agonizing over the mockery that he would experience, the spitting in his face, the crown of thorns that would be pounded into his skull. He was not even agonizing over the flogging that he would receive that would bring him within an inch of his life. That is not what he was agonizing over. This was the core of what he was agonizing over. The father had told the son that on Friday afternoon during Passover, from noon to 3 o'clock, the sky is going to go dark. And I am going to place upon you the sins of all the elect. And because the sins of all the elect are going to be placed upon you, you are going to experience my wrath. You are going to experience the curse of the law. And for the first time in all eternity, Jesus would experience the displeasure 
of God. And that's what was breaking his heart. He could hardly bear experiencing the displeasure of his father because it was his heart's desire more than anything else to please his father. And his father said, for these three hours, I am not going to be pleased with you. That's what he was agonizing over, experiencing the displeasure of his father. In a word, Jesus was agonizing over hell. That's what hell is. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer was, because I can't look at you. I am a pure eyes than to look upon iniquity. And right now, you're full of it. And because of that, you disgust me. I can't look at you. And that was breaking Jesus' heart to experience the displeasure of his father. And some medical doctors even say that Jesus literally died of a broken heart because his father could not look upon him with pleasure. That's specifically what he was agonizing over. So how could Jesus endure the cross? And this is the best answer I can, I can think of as I, was, as I was pondering this. He could endure the cross because he knew that if he didn't endure the displeasure of God temporarily on the cross, then he would never again enjoy his pleasure. But if he did go to the cross and experience the agony of hell, the end result would be the restored pleasure of God. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we read, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Recently, I was listening to a message, and the pastor quoted this verse, and then he said, What was the joy that was set before Jesus. And I said, yeah, that, that's my question. What, what is the joy that was set before Jesus? And he said, it was the joy of knowing that all God's elect would be redeemed because of his sacrifice. It was the joy of knowing that on the third day he would rise again from the, from the dead. It was the joy of knowing that he would eventually sit down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And I think this was implied in his answer, but I don't want this to be implied in the answer. I want this to be explicit. The ultimate joy that was set before Jesus, that enabled him to endure the cross, was the thought, my father is going to be so happy. That was the joy he knew when he finally carried out the will of God and finished his work, 
it would please his father like nothing else. And it was that specific joy, ultimately, in addition to the other ones, that enabled Jesus to endure the cross. That was the joy that was set before Christ. So why was God delighted with the sacrifice? Because it came from a heart of love and and joy. And why was Jesus delighted to give the sacrifice? Because of his love and, and joy in the Father. I don't know about you, but I think it's just a beautiful picture of the joy that's taking place within the Godhead between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is, is communicating all this and empowering all this love that's taking place in the Godhead. Now, the third question is, why, why should God be delighted with our sacrifices? And I hope you see that the answer to this one is because our sacrifices likewise come from a heart that desires to please him above everything else. Is that your heart? Do you have a heart that says, I want God to be pleased with my life. I want God to be pleased with my worship. I I want God to be pleased with my work. I want God to be pleased in in everything that I do. Do you you have that kind of heart that animates what you do? Let's return to that little boy who wanted to be an astronaut. I mean, we say, what? What, what happens if you, if you can't be an astronaut because perhaps God has another plan for your life? If his heart is in the right place, he, he would say, this is, this is my heart's desire. I really want to be an astronaut. But if, if God does have another plan for me, if, if God's purpose for me is moving in a different direction, then I'll trust him that he'll, that he'll lead me and And I will do it because my overriding desire is to please him. Now, wouldn't that be a heart that would please God, that would leave everything in God's hands? And, of course, we know that's that's not always easy. We saw Jesus in, in the garden wrestling with that, but pressing forward to please his father. But wouldn't it be great if we... We're energized and animated by a desire to please God. Now, here's what I can tell you for sure. I don't know if God's going to take your career and say, nope, you're going to move in direction, in a different direction. But I know this. God is going to bring opportunities your way where you have a chance to respond and, and show God, you mean more to me than anything else in the world. God's going to bring that. This a cursory reading through the Bible will show you that God's, God's going to bring that. Think of those who have suffered, Job and others. That, that opportunity is going to come. But there's something that I, I do want to insist on here, and I, I, think it's your, I think it's crucial. If you do delight above everything else in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And perhaps some of you recognize that I just quoted from Psalm 37, 4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. There is a flip side to that, though. 
if you don't delight yourself in the Lord, he may not give you the desires of your heart. You may find yourself frustrated. So we need to understand the promise. First, you delight yourself in the Lord, delighting in him above all things. And then when that's in place, he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think the reason why that will happen, because if you delight in God above everything else, your desires and God's desires, your will and God's will will become one. They will merge. They won't go in different directions. Because if you delight in God and God says, this is my desire and my will for you, then you will say, then that's what I want. If that's what you want me to do, if that's what you want me to be, then that's what I will do. And it won't be, okay, I'll do it. I'll become a missionary to Africa. No, it'll be, you want me to be a missionary to Africa? I'm there. Whatever you want, I'm there. I'm going. I think there is no better way to live. Just think of it. There is no better way to live than to live with God's desires and your desires in harmony with one another going through life. I'm not saying it's always an easy way to live. It wasn't an easy way for Jesus. But I am saying, and I'll insist on it, it is the best way to live when you're in harmony with God. So this, this is the goal right here. If somebody were to ask you, what do you want? What do you desire? Wouldn't it be great to say with all sincerity, well, I'd like to be an astronaut. I'd like to be this. I'd like to be that. But above all, my desire is to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let's close in prayer.